This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's scary. I mean, I, I have, there's been moments that I have felt quite scared with some of these symptoms. And I am 30 years old. I'm active. I'm healthy. I have healthy lungs. And I also have access to health care. During the week, um, I'm generally waking up at 5, 5.30 in the morning to take my dog running, um, otherwise active, hiking on the weekends, um, doing a lot of walking and working out. Um, I am in, <laughs> in pretty good shape. So this has been a drastic uh, change in my health for me. So the first thing that I did is I called the um, health department. They have a hotline. I had to wait on the phone. I can't remember you know, what place in line I was, but I want to say that there was 15 to 20 people ahead of me calling into this hotline. Um, so the initial call, I was told to um, hang up and call back after I had had symptoms for over 24 hours. Um, what were the next steps for telehealth and for you to figure out, okay, I'm going to get tested. So I did wait. I waited the 24 hours. I called back um, and was able to get someone on the line. I reported my symptoms um, and I reported where I had been, which was really my motivation because I had been at the jail. Um, I had been at two different courthouses, coming in contact with quite a few people. Um, I thought that that was information that the health department would want to know. They seemed not very actually very interested in that information. Erica Roth first started showing symptoms of COVID-19 the week of March 16th, after she felt achy and feverish and developed a horrible cough over the course of a few days. She works as a public defender in Nevada. Uh, My job as a public defender, I represent indigent clients in criminal matters <clears throat> ranging from anything from petty theft um, up to, and I have sat on, dealt with murder trials. So in my work, though, our clientele are generally the parts of our society that are forgotten. While Erica has been quarantined during her illness with COVID symptoms, she's been thinking a lot about access to testing to healthcare and due process during a pandemic. You know, there are certain workers uh, that are essential. So we have healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, um, grocery store clerks, and people like me, public defenders. For us, you know, this is a time when the government is deciding that the Justice Department is trying to roll back constitutional protections And public defenders are stepping up to ensure that not just our clients' rights, but everyone's constitutional rights are going to be protected. At the time of this episode airing, the World Health Organization has reported over 600,000 confirmed cases and more than 29,000 deaths worldwide. The number is growing in the United States, which is now the epicenter of the outbreak, with more than 100,000 confirmed cases. And in Nevada, where Erica lives, there are more than 900 confirmed cases. 
What's been so difficult about understanding the scope and fighting this disease is the lack of testing, especially in a state like Nevada, where testing is severely limited. I met Erica about 10 years ago. She's the younger sister of one of my dear friends. They are both long distance runners and part of a large energetic family, and they share a biting humor and gesture as they speak. Erica's sister called to tell me that she was worried and felt really conflicted, wanting to drive across the country to care for Erica. The strict quarantine has been difficult for their tight-knit family and is really scary when a family member lives alone thousands of miles away, and all the news is filled with how overwhelmed hospitals are right now. After a week of experiencing a debilitating illness, Erica is thankfully feeling better and on the mend, and she agreed to chat with me, although she was still coughing and feeling a little tired and achy and not quite herself. Erica recorded herself on her phone at home with her two dogs, and I recorded myself at home in New York. So Erica, can you walk me through kind of the steps of what happened? Uh, You were in court on Monday, um, Monday the 16th, and you started not to feel well. So what were the symptoms that you felt and the steps that you took? Yeah. The governor, um, Steve Sisolak, had mandated a state of emergency um, and was starting to talk about, you know, shutting down non-essential businesses and those kind of things. But when I walked, I mean, I walked into that criminal calendar on Monday morning and it was like nothing was happening in the world. So I was handling full calendars um, Monday and Tuesday. You know, Monday morning I walked in kind of in disbelief that things weren't shutting down and my team had uh, was moving quickly. And I just want to, you know, give a shout out to my office for for really working so hard to keep our clients represented while trying to, you know, do that in a safe manner. But we had sent home um, some of my team members. One of them's pregnant. One of them, um, his wife is pregnant. One of them were more concerned about her immune system. And so they were working quite hard, but from at a distance. And so that left a few of us that were handling actually most of the in-person uh, matters. And as a result, I, I thought that, you know, that feeling of being run down uh, was just from, from that, from overworking. But my body was starting to kind of ache. I could feel, you know, tension in my back. So didn't think much of it, but I woke up on Wednesday morning and was kind of gasping for air. And I could, I don't know uh, how else to explain it, but I could just feel an infection in my lungs. My lungs uh, were on fire. They hurt. Um, And it wasn't like with a flu when you kind of have congestion, it was very dry and I I couldn't fill my uh, my lungs is what I felt. <clears throat> the I think the best way for me to describe it is that it kind of feels like if you're like even right now talking to you I feel like I'm running like if you're having a when you're jogging if you're running with somebody and you're having a conversation at the same time and you're kind of struggling to get those that breath in um, that's how I feel now just sitting here having a conversation something that I hadn't, hadn't really occurred to me is that I had, I had really lost my sense of smell and taste. Um, 
which hadn't mm-hmm. really occurred to me um, until a few days ago. And for me, the the hardest part was just the breathing it has been very difficult. Your mom is also in Nevada, but um, I'm sure that you probably didn't want to potentially infect her. How was that not being able to see her or, you know, did you reach out to her? Yeah, it's tough. My mom and I are very close. We spent quite a bit of time together. And as this was kind of happening, we made the decision that we just wouldn't see each other because of my the amount of contact I had was having with the public. So we kind of, we cut off all physical contact pretty early on. Has that been hard while you haven't been feeling well? I feel very disconnected, um, certainly from the world right now, which I know a lot of people do. Um, I almost feel like I'm in this little bubble because I haven't left my house at all. So, yeah, yeah, it's been difficult. There's definitely been times when um, I've felt scared because you just... I don't know. It's a it's a new I've never experienced something like this before. So when you when you don't feel well, um, what's your what's your normal protocol and your job? You know, there's been times I've woken up and feeling pretty sick, but I, I, I'm set for trial that day. So it's not it's not an option for me to call in or just continue a trial. In in this instance, I. I mean, I needed to self-quarantine. It was for the safety of of my clients and my colleagues. <clears throat> and when you called um, the public health line and told them about your symptoms that are similar to COVID-19 and you reminded them that you work closely with the jail population, um, what was the response that you were looking for and what was the response that you got? Uh I was looking for assurance that I guess the jail, you know, would be informed. Um, And that is certainly not the response I got. It it didn't appear that any notice was going to be given. Um, At least the health department didn't determine that it was important to give notice to the many institutions that I had had contact with in the last few days. Because you probably saw dozens of people. Uh, hundreds in of like pe- your everyday. Hundreds of people, yes. Really, hundreds yeah. of people? Yeah. And a lot of them are are a lot of the people you saw incarcerated. So if you had seen them, they probably would have seen another, you know, couple hundred people. Exactly. And I was told uh, they kind of go through a survey to determine who, who will be tested. Um, so... Where I am at this point in time, only uh, certain groups of people are being tested. So they are testing seniors with underlying health conditions. They're testing people who recently traveled to hotspots, and they are testing people who have known contact with someone else who has tested positive. What was your response when they were like, oh, you don't meet these parameters? it's absurd, but also... I guess when you take a, spe- a step back, you know, is it the is it the fault of my health department for not being provided enough tests to deal with this pandemic? Um, and I don't know, I can't tell you where that fault lies. I think that you know my perspective on this has been that if there are limited tests, I want those tests 
to go to people who are higher risk, who do have compromised immune systems. But at the same time, I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous that we are living through this, that the response from the government has been so lacking that, you know, we can't even report accurate numbers at this point when people are showing real symptoms. Erica, like many sick and scared Americans, could not get the COVID-19 test. But she followed the precautions for COVID-19 patients, self-quarantining for two weeks, foregoing any contact with another person. The World Health Organization reports that most common symptoms of COVID-19 are fever, tiredness, and dry cough. And as we heard on a previous episode at the COVID-19 testing clinic in Atlanta, Dr. Antoinette Ward describes that symptoms can vary patient to patient. Some people report having aches and pains, congestion, sore throat or diarrhea, loss of taste or smell. But about 80% of those who get infected and get sick can get better at home. The New York Times has been reporting on the inequities of testing and how qualifications for testing vary state to state. When someone does get the test and does test positive, public health officials contact their coworkers, friends, and other people who the patient may have exposed and infected before their quarantine. As Erica's work requires her to be in a crowded, heavily populated setting like a courthouse and county jail, she was especially concerned that by not taking the test, that certain parties would not be informed about her potential illness. What could happen if someone awaiting trial got sick with COVID-19? And what are the precautionary steps that the courts and jails are taking? That's after the break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It sounds like you're thinking to yourself, I just saw hundreds of people and many of them live in close quarters and I have a civic obligation to know if I'm positive because it would have a ripple effect that would really touch thousands of people. Exactly. Contra Costa County in California, I've spoken to um, public defenders that I, I went to law school with there and they have confirmed cases in the jail, um, which were brought in by a public defender. And I think this gets to kind of the larger issue of who's protected in, in this system. And it's certainly not public defenders and it's certainly not our clients. Can you elaborate on that thought? Yeah. I mean, I think if you just paint kind of a picture of, I guess I'll give the example of when you know, I walked into court on Monday morning, the, the district's attorney's office had begun to, they were practicing social distancing. So although the court was moving forward with the normal criminal calendar, the district attorneys who were handling cases that morning were waiting in their offices and only coming down when they had to go on the record. So we were doing all negotiations by phone with the public defenders, you know, around hundreds of people in close quarters with our clients, um, in small interview rooms, um, talking to our clients. 
<laughs> excuse me. Um, and so there's this distance that prosecutors and judges get to maintain normally. They're, they're insulated from the work that we do. There's a lack of value towards the people that I represent. That kind of falls back on the people who represent them. And, um, you know, at the forefront of that is kind of the pretrial release issue of how we could get clients released from jail where it's so dangerous for them. You know, we were... What's so dangerous? Being And being in custody. And so when you're in such close quarters with other individuals who are being pumped through this system, uh, you know, an arrest, a simple misdemeanor arrest, if you're going to be held pretrial, it's not just the loss of liberty, but at this point, it's a danger to your health. What does social distancing look like in the jail system, in the prison system? I, th- I think that's, I mean, that's kind of, social distancing doesn't really exist in the jail system. You know, generally my clients are, I mean, they're treated like cattle from the time that they're arrested until the time that they're sentenced. And then if they're processed off to prison or whatever, Um, may come from that. So, you know, and I say that both in um, some of the treatment of them, the the dehumanization of them, but also actually physically the way that they move through the world. Um, They come through being arrested, you're handcuffed, you don't have the ability to even cover your mouth if you're handcuffed or detained in any way. Um, I didn't even think about that. And so you come through your very close quarters, you know, many um, inmates share very small cells with another <clears throat> with another inmate. They're in very close quarters. Um, so, I mean, actually, physically speaking, it, it's, I, I don't think that's possible to practice social distancing as an inmate. <coughs> many jails, you have a celly, so you have one other inmate. So in the prisons here in Nevada, um, some of them you have kind of, it's more set up like barracks. And so beds are rowed in large rooms, set up in rows and large rooms, um, with small partitions, you know, so you have 50 individuals under one roof with no real separation. And do you have a final takeaway for our listeners about the intersection of the work that you've been doing as a public defender and thinking about the jail population as a vulnerable population to this disease, to this illness? (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that um, during times of crisis, it's, it's, you know, our most vulnerable members of society um, that, that are left behind. And so we have... Um, individuals who are innocent, they are all of them um, awaiting trial. And um, I think watching this unfold, um, you know, this crisis has highlighted the injustice that so many of my clients face because they're being put through the system. But the reality is those those people just shouldn't be incarcerated in the first place. And when you have people who are insulated from the work that I do, for example, prosecutors who are determining that they want to 
hold people pretrial for being found with a baggie with residue in it, who are making these decisions about people's lives that is going to have lasting effects. I mean, it's not only a a sentence in jail at this point, but potentially for many clients, for many of the jail population, but a sentence to death. Because if there is an outbreak in these jails, people are going to die. There is not a sufficient medical system to treat folks by the very nature of the way that prisons are set up. Um, They are at higher risk of the spread of disease. And so, you know, in times of crisis, we have a government who's trying to roll back constitutional rights, kind of under the guise of a disaster response. But we have uh, public defenders that are on the front lines trying to ensure that our clients are released, that they're safe, that they're healthy. But, you know, we're fighting that every day. And so this pandemic highlights, I think, the injustice that our clients face every day. Um, And I hope that we can figure out a response. But when you're operating within this system, I don't don't know how that's going to work. This is truth or tooth. We go light after we go deep. Um, what's your dog's name? What's your dog like? All right. I've got Noah is my dog. He's a Border Collie Aussie mix. He's a rescue. And then I have uh, Pippa is my foster dog. So I encourage anyone who's stuck at home to reach out to a local rescue and um, take, a, take a dog in. They're excellent quarantine buddies and (laughs) there's lots of dogs in shelters shelters that are shutting down who who need emergency fosters to get to get dogs out of the their kennels and what's one thing that's like a guilty pleasure or bringing you relief while you've been um quarantined you know you lose your your sense of taste and so the only thing i've been craving is very spicy thai food that i'll have delivered and (laughs) left on the sidewalk outside so no one gets too close Well, um, I can't wait to talk to you when you're feeling better. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. (coughs) As the number of confirmed cases for the coronavirus rise in the United States, so are the numbers of those applying for unemployment and reporting economic hardship. At the time of this episode airing, the Senate has passed a $2 trillion economic rescue plan to help tens of millions of Americans. And with those who make under $75,000 a year, they may be eligible to receive a single $1,200 payment and an additional $500 for every child under the age of 16. For more information, go to irs.gov and visit the Coronavirus Tax Relief page, where they are updating instructions for how to apply. And although the tax deadline has been moved to July, you may want to take care of that now so potential payments are not delayed. We want to hear about your experience. You can email us a request, question, or voice memo at thewomenpod at gmail.com. The Women is a production of iHeartRadio and myself, Rose Reed. 
Holly Fry is our executive producer. This episode was mixed by Adrian Lilly. A very special thanks to Erica Roth, Cassia Roth, and always Gail Reed. If you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend. It really helps the show. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We'll be back next week with more from women on the front lines fighting the coronavirus and COVID-19. Take care and be safe. Hey, how are you? Como esta? I'm good, babe. I'm good. I'm here in Milan. I mean, the situation is bad, but... uh... We continue, you know, we move on. Is that the Italian way or the Lucrezia way? No, this is my way. (laughs) (laughs) The city is empty completely, like zero, like nobody. Wow. There's nobody. The Duomo of Milan, the square in the middle, I, I passed by today, was completely empty. It's sad to see uh, such a, you know, such a calmness, such emptiness in the city. It's uh, it's quite um, quite bad. But uh, you know, I think it's a moment. It's a moment where our life is changing, economy is changing. I'm trying to see the good of this uh, that is happening. Sometimes, uh, of course, because of this, you feel upset. But I'm trying to focus more and more on what I have. And uh, they can take everything away from me. But they cannot take away me from me. Yeah. What do you find yourself doing? Me? Um, so mainly I work. And apart from work... I read, I sing. What song are you singing? So now I, do, I play Lady Gaga. I'll always remember us this way. How does it go? Um, it's that Arizona sky burning in your eyes. You found the light. You know that? <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you that Arizona sky burning in your eyes. You found the light in me.